Pastor Len Andrews from the WOW Ministries with today's study, Genesis chapter 45, Joseph revealed to his brothers. We continue the series in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45. Let's pray. Father, thank you for another opportunity, Lord, you've given us to gather together in your name, Lord, and as we've come this evening, we just ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts through your word. As your word goes out and it's revealed to us, Lord, let it make an everlasting change within us. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for tonight, Lord, in your word, which is life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter 45, we're going to start in verse 1. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 1. Tonight, the text reveals a lot. But, you know, when you read through it, it's almost self-explanatory. There's so much happening here. And in Genesis chapter 45, let's start reading in verse 1. Genesis chapter 45 and verse 1. Genesis 45 and 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. For they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land. And there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all of his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt." Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty. For there are still five years of famine. Verse 12. And behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin. See that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen. And you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, 
Do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded. Do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts, according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments." And he said to his father, these things, ten donkeys, and he sent to his father, these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt, and came to the land of Canaan, to Jacob their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob their father revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph my son is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Stop right there. Go back with me to verse 1. And it says this, Joseph could not restrain himself any longer. Well, restrain himself from what? Well, he had given them so many tests up to this point. He had tested them as far as if they were the same as when they were before. He had tested them to see if they were still murderous. He tested them to see if they were still mischievous and evil and wicked and vile. And he took them through all kinds of tests to see if they indeed were the same persons that he knew them to be. At this time, 22 years have passed. And now they don't recognize Joseph who was in front of them because he had on Egyptian garments, Egyptian makeup, the style of that day. And he was the governor or the ruler, the authority over all the land, only second after Pharaoh. And so now we come to the point where he has tested them and they have passed the tests. They have uh, been found guiltless in a sense, in a sense that they were not spies, but he was about ready to reveal himself to his brothers. Now, we look at this and we look at the Word of God. We, we have talked about how uh, Joseph is a type of Christ and Israel is a type of the people in the last days, his chosen people, the Israelites, the Jewish people. We know this. We know that there have been many tests that they have gone through. We know that there was the horrific testing with Hitler and Nazi Germany. We know even up to this point, like take for instance, even in 48 when it became a nation. We know that shortly after that there was a six-day war. We know that from that time now they've been persecuted and they are being threatened left and right that they want, the, the nations around them want to wipe them off the face of the earth. So they're going through many, many testings. 
And yet, even through all of it, they still do not see Christ as the Messiah. And I will tell you this right now. They're eventually going to go through a harder test, a more even intense test, just like the world will go through. And that's called the tribulation. We're going to learn about that when we study Revelation. But that tribulation is going to be for seven years. And after the tribulation, we know that there's going to be a thousand years where Christ rules and reigns upon the earth. But that tribulation will last seven years. And let me ask you this question. How long was the famine? It was seven years, was it not? When we look at this here, we see that indeed, yes, Joseph had now come to the point where he was giving them the last test. And now he's about ready to reveal himself to all of his brothers. Verse 1 says this, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So, he was so overcome with emotion, so overcome with uh, such a flooding of feelings and love for his brothers, that now he finally reveals himself to them. And all this, bear in mind, was in God's timing. It wasn't any time before God had planned it. It wasn't any time after God had planned it. It was right exactly when God had planned it. And so now he says, make everyone go out from me. So they all went and left. And then he says this, it says this, so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. What did he say? It says he wept aloud. And the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. There was such a wailing, such a crying. Now, can you imagine the brothers standing there? And all of a sudden, Joseph, he starts weeping. He starts wailing. He starts crying. They're probably saying, what is going on here? Is something happening? What is happening here? And it says this, and Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? So he had the question, does my father still live? He said, I am Joseph. He is relaying to them that he is their brother, just as Christ will do in the end times. Now, go with me in your Bible, hold where you're at, and go with me to Zechariah chapter 12. The best way to find it is to go to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew. Zechariah is one book to the left of Malachi. Malachi is to the left of Matthew. So you have Matthew, and before Matthew is Malachi, before Malachi Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter 12. In talking about the revealing of Christ to Israel, Zechariah in chapter 12 and verse 10 says this, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day, there shall be a great mourning in all Jerusalem. Stop right there. One day, he's going to make himself known. 
And do you know that one day when he comes back, on that day, it says he will come in the clouds with power and great glory. And it says all the earth will mourn. That's exactly true. Do you know that they will recognize him? And they will say, oh my goodness, now we see him. He is revealed to us. A greater understanding of this can be looked at when Peter walked on the water. You remember that? It says that Jesus was on the water. He walked towards them. They thought he was a ghost. And yet, he was right in front of them. And they did not recognize him. Why? Why didn't they recognize him? Well, we know for two reasons. Number one, we know that the Bible says there is a veil that is placed over all of them who do not believe. You guys remember that? There is a veil. So they cannot see. Okay? But it is up to God who takes the veil off that people would be able to see who he is. Now, for many who don't believe today, they still have that veil. The Apostle Paul, when that light struck him on that road to Damascus, it said something like scales fell from his eyes. What did that mean? Well, it meant that he was blinded. He could not see. It was only after the scales fell that he was able to see. A lot of times you might say, well, you know, this friend of mine, uh, this family member of mine, this co-worker of mine, they just seem so stubborn. Well, it's not that they're stubborn. Unless God takes the veil away, they will not be able to see clearly. God has to be the one that takes the veil away. So don't give up hope. God hears your prayers. God understands what your heart is like towards them. Because you might want them to get saved, you love them, but yet it's all in God's timing. Just as everything that we are seeing here, the way that it's unfolded, it all will be done in God's timing. And so Zechariah tells us that they will look at him and they will finally see him. They will say, he is our Messiah. Why didn't we see him before? The second reason why it was found when Peter walked on the water. It says that there was a raging storm. The sea was stirred up and the water was being raised up and the wind was being raised up and the wind and the water were all hitting his face. And it says when he looked at the turbulence of the wind and the rain, the water, it says that he started to sink. And a lot of times people can't see Jesus and they start to sink because they have their eyes focused on those things, the problems, the circumstances. And they don't keep their eyes fixed on Jesus when he's right in front of them. When we look at Zechariah, they're going to see him and they're going to know that he indeed is the Christ. Now go back with me to Genesis chapter 45. Now notice something. Verse 3, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now remember, he's a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ. Now what does he say to them? I am. Where do we read that? Remember in Exodus when God reveals himself to Moses? What does he say? I am that I am. What did Jesus say? He said, before Abraham was... I am. And now Joseph, in similar words, he is saying, I am Joseph. And in a sense, he was a type of Christ. So he is echoing words 
in a type and a shadow of Jesus Christ when Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And when God revealed to Moses who he was in the burning bush, I am that I am, Joseph says to his brothers, I am Joseph. And then he says, does my father still live? Now let me point something out. In verse uh, go with me to verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. Now my question was, why? why? Why would he make the servants, his whole household, why would he make them go out from him? Why? why? What was the purpose in that? I mean, even, even if they were there and they heard everything, what would be the difference? I mean, why, why would he need to have his servants go out? Well, it says right after that, Make everyone go out from me, so no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. While Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Now, very interesting. He has everybody go out, which is very odd. And then it says, No one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. The wording there is that Joseph told them that I am Joseph. And they couldn't believe him. I mean, as a matter of fact, it says they stood back in such apparent shock that this was their brother Joseph. They could not believe here was this man who was the second in command of all of Egypt. They just could not believe it. And in that day, when they looked at him, they saw the garments, they saw the styles of that day, the makeup on the face. What would be one way that he indeed could prove to them that he indeed was a Jew, a Hebrew, one who was under the covenant of his great-grandfather, Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, right there. He would have showed him showed them that he indeed was circumcised. So now do you understand why they had to leave the room? Because if he revealed himself to them and said, no, you don't understand, I am Joseph, they still wouldn't have believed him. Yeah, right, come on. Deep in their hearts, they're probably saying, yeah, right, come on. You are the second in command in Egypt. You speak Egyptian, you look Egyptian, and now you're telling us that you're Joseph? And that's why we read, so no one stood with him, while, with Joseph, while he made himself known to his brothers. He showed them that, in fact, he was circumcised. He was of the lineage of Abraham, Isaac, and his father Jacob. And they would have understood that. And then it says this. Does my father still live? Now, we can see the anticipation of Joseph, why he wanted his dad to come to Egypt very soon. But as I pointed out in the last message, that Joseph, no matter how much he loved his dad, no matter how much he longed to see him, no matter how much he wanted to be with his dad, he put aside his temporary, or, or what he wanted, his temporary uh, uh, fixation, what he wanted, what he desired, he put that to the side for the sake of his brothers in order to teach them the lesson that God would have them 
to learn. He put aside his pleasure, his will, his want, his desires. He put it to the side in order that God's purpose might be revealed. And as I told you before, that's what we got to do. We got to put aside our own, our own desires, our own wants, our own, uh, the things that we have, have always wanted our whole entire lifetime. One thing about Christians today should be the fact that we give everything up for Christ. I remember when I was younger, I wanted to be a police officer. I remember when I was younger, uh, I wanted to be a Marine. I remember when I was younger, I wanted to uh, 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 have a business of my own. But as I got older, I, I, I realized, you know, now would be the time to do it. But then I came to know Christ. You know what happened? I gave everything up for his sake. Not that that's noble by me for, for any, any great thing that I've done, but what I'm saying is, is that I was willing to put aside everything so that the will of God could be done. You asked me the question, if I ever thought that I would be anything or doing anything for the Lord, no. The answer would be no. I didn't. But the fact of the matter was is that we got to be willing to give everything up for the Lord, our desires, our wants, our needs and to do the will of God. And so he wanted, and he did, put aside his temporary, what he wanted, in order for the will of God to be done. So he asked this, does my father still live? Now some months have passed, and they came back. And now he's asking the question. Six months is a long time when someone you love is very, very old. Does my father still live? They're still dumbfounded. And they say this, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. They still couldn't believe it. They were shocked. After all this time, they had told their own dad that their brother had been killed. They showed uh, their dad the coat of many colors with blood on it. They believed that he indeed was doomed, that he had died. They couldn't answer him because they thought that he indeed was gone. Verse 4, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. That would assume, and we would rightfully assume, that they step back. And so he has to tell them in a nice, gentle tone, Please come near to me. And then he said, So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now notice one thing. He doesn't glide over the fact that they did wrong. He points it out. He says to them, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. God never does that. He never, ever allows our sin to not go unnoticed. God will always show us our sin. That way we can understand that he knows it, understand that he sees it, understand that he is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. God does that in order that you and I would see that he sees everything that we do. And Joseph, he says to them, you sold me into Egypt. Verse 5, but now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. And that was right. Had Egypt, had he not been sold into Egypt, he never would have went to Egypt. He would have stayed in Canaan. Now, can you imagine what that would have been like? God had a plan. 
and a purpose. If they would have assimilated into the culture and become just like the Canaanites around them, we understand that they all would have picked up pagan practices. But God, with his plan, he literally moved them into Egypt so that did not happen. You know, he's saying, can that really happen? Well, look at what happened in the time of the judges. The time of the judges, they literally uh, were practicing all the wicked things that God told them not to. They were intermarrying. They were doing things that were not right. And because of that, they fell into a lot of idolatry and sin. And so he says to them, But do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He gives them a little comfort and reassurance. Just like the Apostle Paul, he says that when somebody sins, you need to cast them out. He said, but when they repent, bring them back in because you don't want them to drown in their sorrow. And this is exactly what he's doing. He told them that he knew what they did, but he said, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Then he says this, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Everything. Everything had a plan and a purpose with what God did. Then it says this, verse 6, For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. So they would not be able to plant, they would not be able to plow, they would not be able to do anything. And there's going to come times in your life when that happens. You know, you're not going to be able to go forward in areas of your life that you once did. There's going to come a famine where God is going to stop certain things in your life. And you're not going to be able to get any fruit from those things as you did before. Uh, let me give you a couple of practical examples. In your life, you might think that something is good in your life. It might be a relationship with a coworker with a friend, with a girlfriend, or with a boyfriend, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, there becomes a famine in the land, in your area where you live. And all of a sudden, you find that there's no life there. Because what did famine bring? Famine brought death, did it not? Look at your life and look at where there is famines at times. What do the famines cause us to do? You know, what it, you know what the famine causes us to do? The famine causes us to go to Joseph just like there in that day. The famine causes us to worship God, to cry out to God, to praise God, to worship God, to love God. Those ain't necessarily bad things. Those famines are there to help us. You might say, well, I understand that, but that really doesn't apply with me with relationships. Okay, so what about business? What about work? What about those things that are in your life that you thought were so great? Uh, I know, I've known people that uh, they kind of live beyond their means, right? And so they try to get cars that they really can't afford. They try to get houses that they really can't afford, you know what happens? A famine comes along, and all of a sudden those things are taken away. Was that a bad thing? No, it wasn't. God was trying to get them to live within their means. But those famines happen in your life. 
those famines are allowed to take place. I bet if you looked over your life, you would see all kinds of famines to where you were pushed into certain situations where things were just dead. And so what did God do? God had to clip them or take them out of your lives. And you found out that at the end of it, you know what? You were better off for it. How many of you can testify to that? I know that I, have, I can, certainly can do that. Because that's what God does. He allows that famine to come. And there is always a plan and a purpose with what God does. So he says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. To preserve life. So you will notice that Joseph went ahead of everybody else. Uh, you say, why do you say that? Because he was already in Egypt and God was preparing him to be that savior. And then eventually, as we are reading, all his brethren, all his dad, and all the household came behind him some 20 odd years later. God sent him before them. And you know what? He took the pain, he took the trial, he took the heartaches, he took all these things. And yet at the end of it, he was crowned as royalty. He was the second in all of Egypt. There was a plan and a purpose with everything that happened. You might say in your life, why was it allowed for me to get molested? Why was it allowed for me to get abused when I was younger? Why was it allowed for me to get hurt in this way or that way? Do you know that those of you that have gone through such horrific things, I can tell you this. At the end, it will be seen clear. When we get to, to, to see his glory and all of his majesty, all of it will be revealed. And even in your life, you will see it. God will use you in such a mighty way to reach those that have hurt just like you. God will use you to minister to them. God will use you in a mighty way. Because guess what? All of us have been hurt in one way or another. Every single one of us. But it seems that those that really, really have come from those horrific situations, it almost seems like those are the ones that are used by God the most. And it's true. Because Jesus said to one of the Pharisees that was there with him, he said to them, there was two men and they both owed the creditor. One owed 5,000, where the other one owed 5 million. He says, but the creditor looked at them, forgave them both their debt. He says, which one will love them more? And he said, the one who was forgiven the most. And he says, yes. He who forgives little, gives out little. He said, but who is forgiven much, loves much. And you got to remember something. That when those things happen and those terrible things happen, God has a way of using that for his glory. All of us, and, and, and I know that I'm speaking to someone here today because, you know, when I was thinking about this and I was thinking about this word, I know that God wants to use so many of you. So many of you have done bad. So many of you have gone through such horrific things that I'm telling you. God can use you, and he's going to use you in a mighty way. You might be pondering right now, I just feel God, he wants to use me in this way or that way. Yeah, he does. He does. 
But you've got to be just like Joseph and all those that have gone before you, all those that have gone through horrific situations, through hard times, through trials, through tribulations, those who have done bad, those who have been jailed, those who have done evil and wickedness, and all who have received the same grace and the love from God. I'm telling you, God will use you in a mighty way. Every single one of them did one thing. You know what that was? They gave up their life to God in order to be used by him. And we have to be that same way. God sent Joseph. And you know the great thing about that is, is that even though Joseph went through those hard times, those trials times, do you know that the brothers also who did the evil received the grace also? A lot of us who have had hard times and situations, uh, times in our life, we would probably admit that we held bitterness and anger and hatred and all of that towards them that did us wrong. So we are no less guilty as they are in the eyes of God. God will use us. God will use us. Where's the famine in your life? Don't hold on to it if you know that God is trying to get you uh, free from that bondage, free from that thing. Let's go on. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you and the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Now, if I ask the question, who was it who sent Joseph to Egypt in slavery? Was it the brothers who sold him or was it God who allowed it? Now, you might say that it was God, but I would uh, uh, say to you that it was both. God allowed the brothers to sell him into slavery, and God allowed him to go into Egypt. So you could say both of them. But understand one thing, it was all done with God's sovereign hand and through his sovereignty. And then he says this, uh, verse, uh, the latter part of that verse, And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord over all of his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. A father to Pharaoh is another way of saying a counselor to Pharaoh, his top counselor, the one who he leans on. As a father directs and guides his son, so Joseph was guiding and directing Pharaoh. And so he was looking at it from a father-son relationship when he said, he has made me a father to Pharaoh. He taught Pharaoh. Okay, Pharaoh, the Pharaoh that was coming into power, he was a very young Pharaoh, and uh, so he needed guidance and direction. Uh, so let's go forward. Verse 9, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, you see, there again, the progression of him wanting his dad there immediately because he didn't know how much time his dad had, so he wanted to spend as much time with him as he could. And so he says, going, hurry up and go and get my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. Okay? Now, what he says here is very important because he wants them to hurry up and go. And he wants them to go and to get everything and come down to Joseph. And then he says this, don't tarry. He didn't want them procrastinating. There again, that should speak to every single one of us. In doing the will of God and doing what God wants, we should not be procrastinators. 
How many of you are great procrastinators? I think all of us can be at times from one time or another. And so he tells them, don't, don't tally, don't tarry, don't, don't wait. Hurry up and come down to me. Verse 10, you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near to me. You and your children, your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. Stop right there. Remember what we talked about on Sunday? God is into not saving individuals only, but saving households. And this also is another example of that. This scripture says that he wanted them to bring everybody. Their dad, his dad, his brothers, his brother's children and their families. God had wanted all of them to be in the land of Goshen, not one was left behind from what we read from Scripture. God is into saving households, not just individuals. So, let's go on. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of the famine. No matter what they were going to go through, there were still five years of the famine. And I'm going to tell you this right now, that famine that you're going through, that, that thing that you're facing, whether it's sickness, whether it's relationships, whatever it might be, how many of you know that God will provide for you through it? God will provide for you through it. Here they were, they were in a foreign land, they were in a foreign country, uh, away from Egypt, and God had sent Joseph there. He was there, and now he was telling them, go back and get my father and bring all this stuff back. What does he tell them? I will provide for you. So wherever they went, whether it was out of Egypt, back into Egypt, when they got to Egypt, he would provide for their every single need, even though there was still a famine. Last week we pointed out that faith is needed. Faith is needed in everything that we do. You might not have enough right now, but when you have faith, God will make it enough. God will provide for your need. God will do everything that you need him to. He will meet your every single need. How many of you have ever been disappointed by God? I would probably say we've all been sustained by God through the famines, haven't we? I can testify, and I'm sure that you guys can also. God will provide for your every single need. Okay? Uh, let's go forward. Verse 12. And behold your eyes, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. It is my mouth that speaks to you. He had to tell them this because uh, before when they had come to him, uh, whenever they, they came to him, he would speak Egyptian, and then an interpreter would interpret them to them in Hebrew. But now all of a sudden, now Joseph is talking to them directly in Hebrew. All the servants, everybody, had been cast out of the room, right? And now all of a sudden, here is what they thought this Egyptian, now talking to them in Hebrew. And now he is saying to them, your eyes, Benjamin's eyes, you all now see that I'm speaking to you in Hebrew. It is me, Joseph. Okay? Let's go on. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Yet again, hurry, 
bring my father down here. And so he tells them, now you can tell my father of all my glory. Remember before, Joseph did not want to reveal his glory through his words, through his actions. He did not want to tell them how rich he was, what kind of favor he had. He didn't want to tell or reveal to them anything until the time was right. And that's exactly what Jesus is going to do when he comes back. He's going to reveal his glory. He's going to come on the clouds from heaven and everybody on the earth shall see him. And they will all recognize him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His glory will be revealed. Do you know that there was one time in the scripture when his glory for just a small, insy bit, uh, a little bit of time, he literally revealed himself in his glory. And that was on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? It says that there was uh, his inner circle with him, uh, uh, James, John, and Peter. And we know that uh, it says that he, he, he shined like the sun in all of its brightness. And then it looked like there was Moses and Elijah speaking with him. And it says that there was a voice from heaven and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He revealed himself in his glory. Well, one day he will. He's going to reveal himself to everybody. And everybody will see. And this is why the scripture says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will see his glory. Now he says to them, reveal all of this to my Father. Verse 13, and you shall hurry and bring my Father down here. Verse 14, then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck also. Hadn't seen his brother for all those years. He hadn't known him. He hadn't grew up with him. None of that. He had been taken as a slave, and he had not seen his brother Benjamin. And he missed him. And all of a sudden, they're reuniting. And the brethren, they wept upon one another. It's very interesting, the words. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck. And he wept. Verse 15, Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. Verse 14, He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. Verse 15, He kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. Do you see the wording is different? With Benjamin, it says he fell on his neck and he wept. With his brothers, it says he wept over them. What's the implication there? That with his brother Benjamin, he embraced him, he loved him, he held him, and he fell upon his neck and they wept. But when it says he fell over his brothers, wept over his brothers, uh, the, the indication here is that his brothers were on their knees bowing down to him and he wept over them. They're very humble in, in the sight of Joseph. And they had come low before him. Verse 16, or let's go to verse 15, the latter, latter part. And after this, his brothers talked with him. They probably had so many questions. Wow, you really are Joseph. You really are our brother. We got so many questions. What happened after you left? Uh, what's going on? What's been going on in your life? And you know what it was? It was probably a time for him to testify of the things that God had done. 
But now his brothers were able to talk with him. They were able to have a conversation. And the words they're speaking is that they're having a conversation one to the other. Verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. The report had gone out. The servants had gone out. They had heard him weeping and wailing very, very loud. It wasn't the fact that everybody outside of the house could hear them. Just literally that the servants could overhear and they could hear the weeping and the wailing. So one of the servants goes over to Pharaoh, let, let them know what is going on. There was a report and Pharaoh heard it. And he had heard that Joseph's brothers had come and he was pleased and he was happy. Verse 17, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this. Load your animals and depart. Go to the land of Canaan. Bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded. Do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt to your little ones and your wives. Bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Okay? So he tells them, Pharaoh, Pharaoh is happy that all this has happened. And I'm sure that Joseph had, had given him a report of what was going on and told him what he had told the brothers. And it's almost as though he's, he's relaying to Pharaoh everything that has gone on. And now Pharaoh not only agrees with him, but confirms it with his own words and tells them to come. Go to your land, get all your stuff and come back. And Pharaoh says to them, uh, depart and go to the land. Bring your father and your households and come to me and I'll give you the best of the lands. Now understand this, the reason why Pharaoh was blessing all of the brothers as well as the dad and all the households was for Joseph's sake. We need to understand that. The reason why you are blessed, the reason why you have the favor of God is not because of who you are, but because of who Jesus is. You are blessed because of Jesus, not because of anything great that you yourself do. The only reason why you are blessed is because Jesus is your King, is your Lord, is your Savior. He is your advocate. He is the one who cries out to the Father for you and for me. And that's the reason why we are blessed. And so Pharaoh tells him, bring everything. And I like what he says. He says to them, don't worry about your goods, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. In other words, what he was telling them is, go and get your family and your families and bring them over. And don't worry about anything else. Everything that you have there, leave it and come to me. And I will give you the best of all that Egypt has to offer. And that's so great. You know why? Because you do have favor. You are blessed. You are ones that are so blessed that it's without measure. God gives you wonderful, wonderful blessings. And this is what Pharaoh was doing. He was blessing all of the Israelites, all those people of Jacob, all of his sons, all of his families, all of his grandchildren. Every single one of them were blessed because of Joseph. Verse 21. Then the sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. Okay, carts going in to Canaan, there was 10 of them. That would be the equivalent of a 747 landing in a remote tribe that had never seen it before. It would be the stuff that legends are made of, right? 
when they came in with all those carts, getting ready to move uh, Jacob and all of his family, the people, can you imagine what they would have said in Canaan? Saw all these enormous carts coming. And they seen 10 of them, as well as goods and merchandise of the best of all that Egypt had to offer. All the people were probably saying, wow, look at that. Now you got to remember something. A famine is going on here. And all the people seeing all these men coming with all these carts, all these donkeys, the blessing of God would have been very, very, uh, very much seen in the lives of all those brothers. Okay, and so here they come with all the carts to take Jacob and all of his family back to Egypt. And then he says this, uh, verse 21, Then the sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them carts. According to the command of Pharaoh, he gave them provisions for the journey. So he provided for their need. Like I said, if they went out of Egypt, if they were in Egypt, he was going to provide for them no matter what, just as Jesus does for us today. Verse 22, Then he gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments. But to Benjamin he gave, them, he gave him 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for, for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. So you have the ten carts, you have the ten uh, male donkeys, the ten female donkeys. And what do we always say about the number ten? The number ten represents completeness, Right? This thing that was about to go on, their journey being fulfilled, them going back to Egypt and receiving all the blessings that Pharaoh had to offer. It was coming to a complete uh, close as far as them being away from one another, them being estranged from one another. They were all going to gather together and be in one place. And Do you know that this is a type and a picture of us? When that day comes, do you know that there's going to be a great gathering when Christ comes the second time on this earth to rule and to reign. Do you know that all of us as brethren are all going to be together at one time? And do you know that we will go into the millennium, the thousand-year millennium, and we will all be together? You know, you got to see this because when you look at this here, they all went to the land of Canaan, and they went and came back to Egypt. And it was there that they truly were blessed by Pharaoh and Joseph. Do you know that at the millennium time, there's going to be such a wonderful time here on earth that the Bible says that a little child will play right next to a viper's den. It says that the lamb will lay down with the lion. There's going to be a time of absolute peace, a time that was never, ever seen before. It's going to be so great. And it's going to be a time of wonderful, wonderful blessing. So he gave them changes of garments. Where, where do you see this? Well, we see it that when a people are gathered together for God, he changes them. He gives them new garments. He gives them new changes of clothing. Just like you and I, when we were saved, what did he do? He changed us. He clothed us in his righteousness, right? God has a way of doing that. But for Benjamin, the blessing came down upon him. Why? Well, he was especially favored by Joseph. He was especially favored by Joseph because that was his younger brother. 
And one day, do you know that all of Israel, truly all of Israel, will be blessed like that again, as we read in Zechariah. Verse 24, so he sent his brothers away and they departed and he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. He knew that his brothers were very, very uh, mischievous. He knew that they could be at times. And that word there, troubled, uh, literally means uh, to become uh, angry or to quarrel. Okay, so when he talks to them, he's saying, don't let anything hold you up. You got all the riches of Egypt and you are to go to get my father and bring him back here. Don't be troubled along the way. Don't get angry. Don't quarrel about what's yours and what's not yours. Just go and get him. Verse 25. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw their carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and I will see him before I die. They came to Jacob, and they told him that Joseph is alive. And it says his heart stopped. He, he didn't believe them. Wasn't that amazing? Because at the very beginning, they told him that Joseph, their brother, was dead. He looked and he saw the coat and he believed. Yet now here they were telling him that Joseph is alive and he didn't believe. His heart stopped. And then it says this. Jacob stood still. He did not believe them. But when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them and when he saw the carts which Jacob sent to carry them, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. It's kind of a picture of people that don't know Christ. Do you know that, that people, when, they, when they, they look and they see your life, it's a reflection of who you are and who's living within you? Do you know that Jacob, he heard what they said about Joseph, but they did not believe? Until what? Until he heard Jacob's words, it says. And when he heard Jacob's words, and then he saw the carts that he sent, then it says he believed. And do you know that when people hear the word of God and they see God's blessing in your life, do you know that the two come together and people believe? Not blessing in the sense of material things, but blessed in the sense that your life is lived as though Christ is living within you. And when they see the blessing of God, the Holy Spirit living within you, it becomes real to them. And they believe when they hear Jesus' words. Then it says this, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. It's a picture of a sinner and his heart being made new. From a dead heart to a live heart that is actually living. Verse 28, then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. It was enough. It wasn't a big, a, a big uh, uh, a thing to Jacob that Joseph was the governor in all of Egypt. It wasn't a big thing that Joseph uh, was the second in command of all of Egypt. It wasn't a, 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 you know, enough that Joseph uh, had gone through everything that he'd gone through and now he is the top dog in all the land of Egypt. No. He said, it's just enough that he's alive. That's what I'm happy for. And I'm going to go and I'm going to see him before I die. Now, I want to read part of Genesis chapter 46. And I want to end here uh, for tonight, 
Uh, go with me to Genesis chapter 46 and verse 1. Now here we're going to read of, of, of the genealogy that goes to Egypt. And it's going to come into play when we talk about the sons of Jacob. Genesis 46 and verse 1. Genesis 46 and 1. Hear the word of the Lord. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear, go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I also will surely bring you up again, and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones, and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Now these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. The sons of Reuben were Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. The sons of Simeon were Jamul, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shal. The sons of the Canaanite woman. The sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The sons of Judah were Ur, Onan, Shelah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. The sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamul. The sons of Issachar were Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulun were Sered, Elon, and Jahil. These were the sons of Leah whom she bore to Jacob and paid in Aram with his daughter Dinah. All the persons, his sons and his daughters, were thirty-three. The sons of Gad were Ziphian, Hagat, Shuni, Esbon, Eri, Arodi, and Areli. The sons of Asher were Jimnah, Eshua, Asua, Bariah, and Sarah, their sister. And the sons of Bariah were Heber and Malkif. These were the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And these she bore to Jacob, sixteen persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, were Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, who Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. The sons of Benjamin were Bela, Beker, Aspal, Gira, Naaman, Ehi, Rosh, Mupim, Hupim, and Ard. These were the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. The sons of Dan were Hushim. The sons of Naphtali were Jazil, Guni, Jazir, and Shelem. These were the sons of Bilhah whom Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter. And she bore these to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body besides Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were seventy. Boy, that's a long record, isn't it? But you look at this here, 
And there isn't really much we can add to that, but it's going to become more apparent and more clear that when we read of the sons of Jacob, when he blesses them, you're going to get an understanding of how all that unfolds. And the reason why is, is if you look at the, let's say the line of the kings, and you look at the different uh, uh, nations, uh, take for instance, you have Judah, and then you have Israel itself. Why was there a break with Israel and Judah? Why was there uh, uh, two in one and then ten in the other? Well, we're going to read why that happened. When Jacob blesses his sons, you're going to read characteristics of each one of the sons. And then you can understand why certain persons in the Bible were the way they were. You're going to understand when we read about Judah and we read about Benjamin, how certain people of the Bible were the way they were, why some of them were righteous, why some of them were evil, why some of them were wicked, why some of them were just sold out for God and why some were not. You're going to understand this a lot better. But understand this, when Jacob had sons, Boy, it branched off into literally millions. Because when we read in Egypt, what we're reading about on Sunday, the Exodus, when they go out, they estimate it could be anywhere from two uh, on up, two million people. That all derived from 70 people that we are reading about here. From 70 to two million plus, however many there might have been, that is a lot of people. And boy, they literally did what God said, be fruitful and multiply, right? Think about your life, the kids that you have right now. They're going to be fruitful also. And can you imagine what it's going to be like if there was, because I believe we're going to get raptured at any time, but can you imagine if you were to look a thousand years down the line and look at where you started with your own family, can you imagine how blessed that's going to be? That's why God says in his word that he is showing mercy to thousands of generations to them that love him. That's how great God is. And you look at this here, imagine how it all began. Because when it started, you had Abraham, you had Isaac, and then eventually came Jacob. And then from Jacob, Joseph, and we're reading his story now. But when it started, Abraham had no children. But God said this to him, take a look at the stars, and if you're able, count them. He said, so will I make your descendants. Did he not? He did, and he had no children. But yet, as we're going to see, that Abraham came. He had two sons, but only one was one that was living in the sight of God. And who was that? That was Isaac, right? Ishmael, he did not consider to be living before God. Okay? And then we read after that, after Isaac, how many did Isaac have? He had two. He had Jacob and Esau. You remember that? Okay? So you went from zero to two, and then it went to two from there. And then all of a sudden, Jacob had 12. And then what happened? From there, it branched off into literally millions. And I've said all that, not just to, to, to say that, but to say this also. That's in a physical sense. 
We have our children, and they're going to grow out, they're going to branch out, and we pray that they're going to be fruitful, just as God says, in that physical sense. But what about spiritually? What about spiritually? How many children have you birthed? How many have you literally fed? And they, in turn, will make disciples. And they, in turn, will make disciples. How many of you preached the gospel to somebody and they came to know the Lord, and then all of a sudden they became, if you will, your spiritual child. And they went and they had children in the spiritual way, and eventually it became a ripple effect. And you look at your life a thousand years from now, because of the way you preach, the way that you share the gospel, can you really say that you would have thousands, a thousand years from now? I would certainly hope that you could say that. And so that proves one point. Where are you with the gospel and the preaching of the gospel? Do you share it with people? Or are you kind of passive about it? Do you tell people about God and what God has done? Do you teach them all things that God commands us? And do you truly make disciples? It's very telling about us, isn't it? Literally, where are we at when it comes to the gospel of Christ? Are you diligent? Are you faithful about sharing his word? Because listen, it started with zero in the physical sense, and it went to literally millions. That's what can happen when we truly follow God and share his gospel. But it all starts with how energetic, how enthusiastic you are about the word. Because one thing I know is that the more you are in the word, the more enthusiastic you'll be about the word and the things of God. If you're not into the word, you're not going to be enthusiastic. Uh, people might ask me the question, hey, how come you're you're so enthusiastic about giving the word after you know, all these years of walking with the Lord and uh, being a pastor. You know why? Because I love the word. And the more I read the word, the more I'm enthusiastic about the word, the more I want to teach the word, the more I want to get out the word, and that has a way of preserving us and keeping us enthusiastic about God and the things of God. So the more you're in the word, the more you love the word, the more you're going to be enthusiastic about the things of the Lord. And if you're not in his word you aren't going to evangelize. If you're not in his word, you're not going to share the gospel with anybody. If you're not in his word, you're not going to be enthusiastic. As a matter of fact, on Sunday, you'll be lethargic about it. And you might come and you might go because you feel that it's something that you have to do. But you're not enthusiastic about it. Why not? Could it be that you're not in your word enough? Because if you're in your word enough... It's going to preserve you and it's going to make you and keep you enthusiastic about the things of God. Where are you in your spiritual life? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you tonight for your word, Lord. We just pray that it would speak to our hearts. Help us to be those, Lord, that search your word, that love your word, that desire your word. Help us to be those, Lord, that just love you with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Preserve us. Keep us in your ways, Lord, because we need you. Father, reveal yourself to us, Lord, through your word, and let us get to know you better, to have that deep relationship with you, to be intimate with you, to seek you. Because those of us who love you, Lord, and love your word, 
We'll be diligent about it. We'll be diligent about prayer. Be diligent about being in Bible study in church. We'll be diligent about your things, Father. Help us all to be those men and women of God. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you are interested in visiting the Wild Ministries, we are located at 5700 South Country Club Way, Tempe, Arizona, 85283. Our Sunday service begins at 10 a.m. and ends at 12 noon. Our Bible study services are on Wednesdays beginning at 7.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. For families with children, the WOW Ministries has classes available for children 6 months to 17 years old. If you have any questions, you can contact the senior pastor, Len Andrews, at 602-460-2195 or the associate pastor, Ryan Reed, at 602-434-4073. Come drink at the well. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. Goodbye and God bless.